Hello out there, science nerds. You're listening to Evolving with Mr. V, a weekly podcast that covers the week that was in AP Docreditology and much more. I'm your host, Mr. Oscar Velasquez, your master of the biological arts, and this is officially episode 15, week 15 of the 2019-2020 school year. Now, we took a little bit of a break last week due to Thanksgiving break, but it's nice to be back. Now, this week's podcast, we will recap the week of December 2nd through December 6th in AP Docreditology and look forward to the coming week as well. Spoilers for the week, quizzes, 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 and a lab happening next week. In this week's second segment, I'll go through a quick rundown of biology in the news, highlighting the biggest biology headlines happening in the world today. And in our final segment, I'll go into a deep dive into Disney Plus's new show, new series, giving you my inner thoughts on the first two episodes of The Mandalorian with spoilers. So if you haven't seen it yet and plan to, make sure to skip this segment. Now, before we begin, we need to hear from this week's sponsor in a segment I call Mr. V Needs to Pay the Bills. This episode is brought to you by Kinases. Hey, are you waiting for that spark to help you break into your day? Need to get primed so you could get that work done in your life? If so, get some Kinases. Yes, kinases will phosphorylate you and give you the jump start to get going in life. Need energy to study? Phosphorylate. Maybe energy to compete in your extracurricular activity? Phosphorylate. Or even energy to shoot that TikTok video that no one will see or like? Then get phosphorylated by kinases, adding that phosphate to get that work done. And we're back. So let's go ahead and press that rewind button and go back, all the way back to Monday. We start out our Monday back from break by students turning in their photosynthesis, crossword, and word search that counted as their curve on their metabolism and photosynthesis exam. So not mandatory, just extra credit. Then reviewed exam data and grades for the aforementioned metabolism and photosynthesis exam. And while the raw scores were not what I was hoping for with the curve that most students earn, it did shift class averages to the high 70s and low 80s across the board. Now, while the exam was a challenge, one class did earn top biology performance on this exam with the highest class average. And that period was... 8th period. So congrats, 8th period. Job well done. I also want to give a big shout out to the one student who earned a perfect score on the exam and earned his name on the Keeping It 100 Wall of Fame. And that student is Rashawn Raj. So congrats, Rashawn, and way to keep it 100. After exam data and grades, we started our journey into Chapter 9, Cell Respiration, and started with a basic overview by examining the equation of cellular respiration, which, as heterotrophs, we now feast on that glucose, C6H12O6, breathe in that oxygen, six oxygen molecules, and then our cells convert that to six carbon dioxides, six waters, and energy, energy in the form of ATP and heat. 
Now, one of the things I stressed with our intro lecture slash discussion is that cells can't unleash the energy and glucose in a single step. Way too explosive. It would pretty much blow up our cells. It needs to release this energy in a very controlled stepwise manner. And it releases this energy in a controlled manner in three stages. Glycolysis happening in the cytoplasm of the cell, the Krebs cycle, and oxidative phosphorylation, with the last two stages occurring in the mitochondria. Now, occurring in every stage, helping release the energy slowly in a controlled manner are redox reactions, oxidation reduction reactions, which are reactions that move and transfer electrons between molecules. Now, when a molecule gets oxidized, it loses electrons. When a molecule gains an electron, it gets reduced. Something you can use to help you remember these terms is that mnemonic device oil rig, where the oil stands stands for oxidation is loss of electrons, and the rig stands for reduction is gain of electrons. Something we need to remember is that in biology, in living systems, electrons don't really just flow on their own from one molecule to another. They really are moving as part of a hydrogen atom, that one electron it contains. So when a molecule gets oxidized, it's really losing a hydrogen with its electron. And when a molecule gets reduced, it's really gaining a hydrogen with its electron. We ended our Monday by playing the game of redox, catching or transferring an electron between us molecules, shouting out as we were being oxidized and reduced. And congrats goes to first period for 30 successful redox reactions. And much sadness for eighth period that only completed two redox reactions. And that ended our Monday. Moving on to Tuesday, where we focused on the first stage of cell respiration, glycolysis. So here's a recap of the first stage. Glycolysis literally means to split sugar. Glyco, sugar, lysis, to split. And it occurs in the cytoplasm and takes 10 reactions to go from glucose to the end product of pyruvates. The first five reactions are the energy investment part, where we need to destabilize glucose, weaken the bonds with two ATPs, which phosphorylate the glucose, done by kinase enzymes. And they prime it to get broken in half, which is done by the enzyme aldolase, resulting in two G3Ps, two half-glucose molecules. The next five reactions are the energy payoff steps, where we get our energy we invested back plus some. First thing that happens is a redox reaction occurs, where G3P gets oxidized and our electron carrier NAD plus gets reduced to NADH. And we produce two NADHs, one from each G3P. Oink, oink. We also produce some ATP, ATP by substrate level phosphorylation. Four ADPs are phosphorylated to four ATPs in the last five steps of glycolysis. And we end up with two three-carbon sugar molecules called pyruvates. So to summarize, at the end of glycolysis, happening in the cytoplasm, we produce two NADHs, oink, oink, and a net of two ATPs, and end up with two pyruvates, two three-carbon sugars. Now, this process of glycolysis requires no oxygen, occurs with or without O2, and is an ancient process, the first catabolic pathway to evolve to extract energy out of organic molecules. But it's inefficient. In the process, we break glucose 
in half and only make a net of two ATPs. We have really only tapped into about 4% of the energy in glucose. 96% of the energy is still trapped in those pyruvates. But their story isn't over. But this is where our Tuesday came to an end. On to Wednesday, where I was kind of out of commission with my voice pretty much leaving me. So students focus on transcribing notes from the PowerPoints over fermentation pathways, the Krebs cycle, and oxidative phosphorylation. And that was pretty much our Wednesday. Moving on to Thursday, where my voice was a little better, so we focused on reviewing all the stages of cell respiration together using a large diagram drawn on the board. So let's begin our review with the fermentation pathways. If no oxygen is present, then it results in anaerobic respiration, and those pyruvates, since they can't enter the mitochondria with no oxygen, are converted in the fermentation pathways to either lactic acid or ethanol which one depends on what type of organism you are. Lactic acid fermentation occurs mostly in the muscles of animals, but can also be done by bacteria and some fungi. And ethanol fermentation is primarily done just by bacteria and yeast. Now, the whole reason why the fermentation pathways need to occur is because the cell needs to recycle that NAD+. Remember, our electron carrier NAD+, that gets reduced to NADH, is not an unlimited quantity that the cell has. It almost has like a fixed amount, and it needs to recycle that NAD+. It needs to come back to glycolysis and pick up more electrons. If it fails to do this, pretty much glycolysis ends at step 5, and it never gets to produce any ATP whatsoever. And life without ATP cannot exist. So big picture, fermentation pathways occur to recycle that NAD+. Now, if oxygen is present, those pyruvates will enter the mitochondria for aerobic respiration and go through a little mini three-step reaction that's not part of the Krebs cycle or glycolysis. It's right in between these stages and is sometimes called the oxidation of pyruvates or the linkage step. Now, what happens in this linkage step? Well, those pyruvates, which are three carbon sugars, get converted to a two-carbon sugar called acetaldehyde. Now, one of the carbons from each pyruvate breaks off and leaves as CO2, so two carbon dioxides are produced, and we have a redox reaction that occurs. We strip some high-energy electrons away from those pyruvates, so it gets oxidized, and our electron carrier, NAD+, is there to get reduced. It gains those electrons, and we end up making two NADHs. Oink, oinks. Now, those two carbon sugars, acetaldehydes, get a coenzyme attached to it, which pretty much acts as a transporter. So we end up calling them acetocoase. So at the end of this little linkage step, we end up with two acetocoase, which are two two carbon sugars, two NADHs are produced, and two carbon dioxides are released. Then those acetyl-CoA's enter the Krebs cycle, which is in the matrix of the mitochondria. Now those acetyl-CoA's enter the Krebs cycle, which is an eight-step reaction, and they immediately get combined with a four-carbon sugar called oxoacetate, and it ends up forming a six-carbon sugar called citric acid or citrate, hence why the Krebs cycle is also called the citric acid cycle. Now what happens in the Krebs cycle, it gets stripped 
of every high energy electron that it has. So it breaks off a carbon, leaves a CO2, breaks off another carbon, leaves a CO2. But while this is happening, we're also stripping electrons away. We got several redox reactions that occur, and we even have a step that makes ATP by substrate level phosphorylation. So for one acetyl-CoA that enters the Krebs cycle, we end up making two CO2s or releasing two CO2s, end up producing three NADHs, one ATP molecule, and an FADH2, which is just another electron carrier. But what you need to remember is that we get two acetyl-CoAs for every glucose that's broken down. So for every glucose, we actually end up making four CO2s, six NADHs, two ATPs, and two FADH2s. Now, at the end of the Krebs cycle, glucose is completely gone. We have demolished it into carbon dioxide. And this entire process, we've only made four ATPs, two from the Krebs cycle and two in glycolysis. But in every step of the way, we have been storing energy in 10 NADHs and two FADH2s. And we're ready to break those little piggy banks open. Oink, oinks, time to get that hammer, break them open on the last stage of cell respiration and release all that energy that is being stored. So finally, we get to the last stage, oxidative phosphorylation, where we use an ETC, an electron transport chain, and ATP synthase to produce 90% of the ATP from our initial glucose. So those 10 NADHs and 2 FADH2s unload all the electrons that they've been storing, high energy electrons, to the electron transport chain found in the inner membrane of the mitochondria, which consists of a bunch of integral proteins. We usually just call them complexes 1, 2, 3, and 4. Now, in this electron transport chain, the electrons flow through, losing all their energy. But that energy is used to pump hydrogen ions from the matrix, low concentration to the intermembrane space, high concentration, which is active transport, which you need energy, which is the energy that the electrons give away, that give off. Now, it's building that huge concentration of hydrogen ions in the intermembrane space. Well, they want to diffuse back into the matrix, but they can't go right to the membrane, but there's an ATP synthase protein that they can use. And remember, that's our dam kind of holding back all this water, all this potential energy. So it opens up its gates, allows the hydrogen ions, protons, to diffuse through from the intermembrane space back into the matrix, converting a bunch of potential energy to kinetic energy. So much kinetic energy, it could phosphorylate a bunch of ADPs to ATPs. How much? 32 to 34 ATPs. That is a lot of energy. Now, the role of oxygen in all this is pretty crucial because that oxygen molecule pretty much parks itself at the end of the ETC in the matrix, and it's responsible for pulling the electrons through that chain. Remember, throughout the semester, we've talked about how oxygen has huge electronegativity. It loves to pull electrons closer to its own nucleus. So it's actually pulling those electrons through the chain. If oxygen is not there, those electrons never go through the ETC, which means they never pump those hydrogen ions from low to high, that huge concentration never gets built, and they never flow through ATP synthase, which means no 32 to 34 ATPs are going to be produced. And cells, at least animal cells, are not going to survive with just four ATPs. 
So to summarize the entire process of breaking down a glucose, we get two ATPs from glycolysis, two ATPs from the Krebs cycle, and 32 to 34 ATPs from the ETC and ATP synthase for a total of 36 to 38 ATPs for every glucose that gets broken down. That is pretty impressive, and that is a lot of ATP, so we could do all this work like listen to this awesome podcast. We ended our Thursday with students working on a cell respiration review sheet to get them ready for the quiz coming up on Friday. And that concluded our packed Thursday. At last, Friday arrives, and we start class by reviewing cell respiration, answering and discussing any questions or concerns students still had over the entire process of cell respiration. After our review, students demonstrated their proficient to expert level knowledge over cell respiration with the Chapter 9 quiz. Students actually took the quiz in small groups that were determined by their academic standing in the class. Students worked on the quiz for about 17 minutes and that was the week that was an AP dual credit biology. And now for our segment, Biology in the News, where I highlight some of the biggest headlines making waves in the world of biology today. Our first headline, stress may help extend worms' lives. Roundworms appear to live longer when they're exposed to higher levels of biochemical stress when they are young, a study published in Nature suggests. The general idea that early life events have such profound positive effects later in life is truly, truly fascinating, says study author Ursula Jacob. So maybe that stress of learning how to walk or eating your green beans and broccoli might not be such a bad thing after all. But as we'll learn in, in as we'll learn during our second semester, stress after a certain age is not so good when it comes to humans. Alert, alert. We interrupt this podcast to bring you this very important message. The first three students who can send me a personal IM message on Edmodo, once again, a personal IM message, not a post, and attach a selfie of themselves reading their online textbook, page 171 specifically, and tells me in the personal message what the other name, the process being shown is called, will win an extra credit voucher for points added to their lowest quiz or lab. Previous winners are excluded from this opportunity. A second headline making waves in biology today, synthetic neurons may one day replace faulty real ones in animals. Researchers are working on synthetic neurons on microchips that could help people whose neural connections are disrupted. Any area where you have some degenerative disease such as Alzheimer's or where the neurons stop firing properly because of age, disease, or injury, then in theory, you could replace the faulty bio circuit with a synthetic circuit, said Alan Nogart, uh, author of the study published in Nature Communications. And while it's a long path from theory to actual reality, new ideas on how to repair nerves is always exciting and worth every penny to explore. 
A final headline making waves deals with ecology as plastic pollution has killed half a million hermit crabs, a study says. An estimated 600,000 hermit crabs have been killed after being trapped in plastic debris, a new study has said. The researchers said piles of plastic on beaches create physical barriers and deadly traps for the crabs. The study looked at strawberry hermit crab populations on two remote tropical island locations and saw significant effects on their populations. So keep that plastic out of the oceans, rivers, and lakes and put it into the plastic recycling bins. And these are just some of the headlines making news in the world of biology today. And now for our final segment, where we go into Mr. V's inner thoughts on Disney Plus's new show, The Mandalorian. Now, this is your warning. If you haven't seen it and plan to, skip this segment because there will be spoilers. Repeat, spoilers ahead, spoilers ahead. Okay, with that out of the way, let's talk The Mandalorian. And right now, I'm loving what I'm seeing from this show. Like I mentioned from my non-spoiler review, it's like watching a classic Western, a lone gunslinger who lives by his own code and really doesn't have anyone in his life till, wait for it, freaking baby Yoda. What a reveal at the end of episode one after that awesome gunfight with IG-11, which was an awesome droid together with Mando just blasting everyone away with little touches of humor here and there, like when IG-11 kept on trying to self-destruct. But once again, the reveal at the end just made the entire world have that reaction of, what the fork? A baby Yoda, one of the cutest things I have ever seen on TV. Guys, I would give my life for baby Yoda right now. I would take blasters for him. I would take lasers from the Death Star to protect that baby Yoda. I would trade all of you in for that baby Yoda. That baby Yoda is just, once again, one of the cutest things out there. And now, the Mandalorian has a partner. Not IG-11, who was going to kill the baby Yoda. But now, baby Yoda and the Mandalorian looks like they're going to go on some adventures. So now it's the story of the lone gunman needing to protect this young child. And we're going to start to see kind of a softer side of the Mandalorian start to come out. Now we also start to realize why the Mandalorian kind of saves the baby Yoda. We see, we start to see flashbacks to when Mando was a child himself and how he lost his parents and was about to meet his end by a separatist clone droid and start to realize why he doesn't also kind of like droids at all. We also see how the Mandalorian will meet new characters that will befriend him and baby Yoda like Kroll, the I have spoken character. Awesome new Star Wars line, by the way. Was hoping he would kind of become part of Mandalorian Mandal's crew, but the Mandalorian looks like he's always going to go solo, except now with that baby Yoda. However, with Kroll's help though, and his translating skills, the Mandalorian is able to find out what the Jawas want after they strip his ship and all of its parts pretty much. We see the Mandalorian now do battle with a one-horned giant beast because the Jawas want to trade the parts of his ship for this beast egg. 
So we witness this battle and that one horned beast is just tossing the Mandalorian around like a rag doll. And when it seems like the beast is about to stomp the Mandalorian, we see it start to levitate. And lo and behold, we see Baby Yoda using the force, lifting the beast, giving Mando the ability to slay the mighty beast, the one horned beast, and be able to retrieve that egg and deliver it to the Jawas. But Baby Yoda is so tuckered out that he just falls asleep for what seems like a couple days. By the way, that was a pretty disturbing scene watching the Jawas just devour that egg, sticking their hands in there, getting that yolk, and just going to town on it. Sort of like watching you guys eat lunch at the Johnson Cafeteria. So we leave episode two with the Mandalorian going back to deliver the child to the client, wondering will he deliver the package and get his reward, his bounty, or will he keep the baby Yoda and protect him? So that is my quick spoiler review of the first two episodes of The Mandalorian. And once again, I'm loving what I'm seeing and can't get enough of that baby Yoda. This world could use more baby Yoda. And with that, I have spoken. Well, that brings us to an end of episode 15, week 15 of Evolving with Mr. V. I hope you found this podcast informative and somewhat entertaining. I want to thank Free Music Archive and Sound Bible for the music and sound effects on the podcast. This podcast was written, produced, and directed by Velasquez Productions. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and comment on the podcast on your podcast listening platform. And if you're using Apple Podcasts, how about you go ahead and rate and comment on the podcast? Come on, you know you want to. Look, right now I have 13 ratings and a couple comments, three comments so far. One comment uh, from Hook'em Bio says, Beast Podcast, great podcast, fantastic content and funny, might be more beast than water. Another review, five stars from AppFro. If the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell, then this podcast is the powerhouse of my AP bio knowledge. And one final comment, this podcast is lit from Oscar Marvel 007. Could I get any better review content of AP biology? Nope. This podcast does it all. It made me laugh, cry, and I learned as well. Uh, I think that last one sounds a pretty, pretty fishy if it's maybe just someone I know who actually did that. Well, once again, please comment and rate this podcast. Well, this is your host, Mr. Oscar Velasquez, your master of the biological arts, signing off and reminding you to please, please, for your professor's sake, stop using plastic water bottles. Use reusable containers.